you got a Bible, I encourage you to, to go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and if you uh, want to be really adventurous, you can go to Luke 7 also and kind of put your finger in Luke 7. Uh, so Genesis uh, chapter 2. Mother's Days are always a difficult day uh, to preach, because uh, number one, I'm not a mom, all right, obviously. Uh, I have a mom, uh, and so, but it is sometimes a little difficult uh, because you feel like, man, what, what am I going to say? And I, I'm not here to, to teach you how to be a mom. I, I pray that what we talk about this, this morning will be a, a blessing and a real encouragement to you uh, as a mom. You know, I, I'm very, very thankful for my mom. I, I called her on the way here this morning and, and wished her a happy Mother's Day, her love, her prayers. Um, yeah, her sacrifice is evident in my life, and I'm very, very thankful for that. I, I, I just ask selfishly that you guys would be praying for my mom. Her name is Laquita. Uh, I know it's a little interesting name. You can call her Quiqui, whatever you want to call her there. Uh, some people do that. If you can't get Laquita out, uh, young, the younger ones call her Quiqui. So, um, yeah, she's just kind of going through a really rough time right now. And so... Um, as the only son that's close by, my brother lives in upstate New York. It's about 20 hours away. Um, so yeah, just, um, just pray for her and really covet your prayers as we um, step in and try to navigate what's kind of going on with her. So, so yeah, and um, you know, love my wife, Kathy. She's an incredible mom, absolutely incredible. Has taught me a tons about motherhood that's uh, not for the faint of heart. Uh, it takes a lot of courage, resilience, and resolve, and sacrifice. Uh, it's a very thankless job, and I just thank God for her. Uh, she's the one that's getting kids together and getting ready so I can be here with you all. Uh, I got one ready. Well, he kind of takes care of himself now. It's like, get up and get going, buddy. Let's go. Uh, don't have to do much for him now, but uh, there's still two little ones at home that take a lot of work, but just thank God for her. She's a, an enormous blessing for me. So we're, we're in Genesis chapter 2, and I, taking a little break from Jonah. We left Jonah in um, the middle of a lot of vomit, and so uh, that maybe hit home to a lot of moms right now. I don't know, maybe you're wearing vomit on the way in here, but we felt like it'd be better for us to kind of pause our Jonah series and, and talk to moms specifically. So here's, here's kind of what I want to do. I want to take Genesis 2 and, and unpack a few truths in here that are, that, that's great for all of us. They're truths that I feel like... Um, it's not just for moms, but it's for all of us. And these are truths that are just not like a, a one-time deal. These are woven into the fabric of my own life. It's woven into the fabric of our church. And, and these are truths we talk about quite often here. So there's not going to be anything new or shocking that you're going to hear this morning. Uh, but I do pray that these, um, these simple truths are a beautiful reminder of how God sees you. Uh, when he sees moms, when he looks at you, uh, what, what, what fills up in his own heart as he as he thinks about you. And then I also want to um, kind of weave this story of Luke 7 in this. So I want to kind of unpack some truths that are in Genesis 2 and, and allow Luke 7 to kind of um, be a way of sort of illustrating or putting skin uh, on these truths. And so if you're able, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. So we're going to start in Genesis 2. We're going to, we're going to begin kind of in the, um, the, the latter half of verse 20 and go ahead and read to the end of the chapter. And then I'm going to skim over to Luke 7 and read a few verses there in Luke 7. So hear the word of the Lord. 
But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and closed up the place with the flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said this. He sang a song basically here, a poem. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. In Luke chapter 7, we read this. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And he's approached the town gate. A dead person was carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her full of compassion. That's what that kind of phrase is there. And said, do not cry. And then he went up and he touched the coffin And those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we we humbly come to you this morning confessing our need for your word that would come into our our beings here and give life. Lord, it would would be a a way of encouraging us no matter what season of life we find ourselves in, a season of joy or a season of mourning. And so God, we, we need your Spirit's help to understand what we've read and to do what we've read. So please help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I just want to point out three truths that are kind of woven in the fabric of Genesis 2 as well as some of Genesis 3 that we did not read. And like I said, I want to kind of use Luke 7 as a way of kind of illustrating a few of these points. So the first one is this, and that is this. Remember, I'm speaking to moms, and this is God speaking over you. Yes, This is Lyle speaking, but it'd be weird to hear this from Lyle, so I want you to understand this is God speaking to you. So moms, you are beautifully designed by God. You are beautifully designed by God. If there's one truth that I pray that you would get that woven into the fabric of your being, it's this. No matter what the mirrors say, no matter what social media says, no matter what other people say, hear this, you are beautifully designed. You are beautifully designed by God. I mean, look what happens here in verses 20 through 22. If you're familiar with the story, Genesis 1 kind of accounts the creation of the world. We get to Genesis 2, and he dives into more of creating humanity here. And and he he realizes God brings all of the, the animals to Adam, and Adam begins to name them. And as he's naming them, he realizes there's no suitable helper for him, and God sees that this is not good. 
And this is what we read here in the latter half of verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so what happened here is the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made, made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. And so one of the obvious points in this passage of Scripture that we have a tendency to blow over or don't spend a whole lot of time reflecting upon is this, is that God made you. You notice in Genesis chapter 1, one of the reoccurring words that you hear when God is creating the universe is that he spoke it into existence. He spoke, and then boom, there it is. He spoke, and then boom, there it is. You get in Genesis chapter 2, when he begins to make the animal kingdom, and specifically humanity, it says that he formed them, that he shaped them, that he made them, that he built them. He used his hands to fashion humanity. You are beautifully designed by God. You are not the pinnacle of an evolutionary process where humanity is kind of the climax. No, you're the climax, the pinnacle, the culmination of God's creative work. You are beautifully designed by God. And most of us in this room give kind of a confession to that truth, but I want to say to you, I'm not sure how functional it is in your life. You are beautifully designed by God. We see kind of this beauty in so many ways, but one of the ways that we see this sort of played out in these first two chapters here is in the middle of chapter three where Adam names the woman Eve. And that's interesting when he names her, and I'll come back to that here in just a few minutes, but I just wanna kind of camp out a little bit on that name Eve. It says this in Genesis three, verse 20, that Adam named his wife Eve because why? She would become the mother of all living. This word here means life giver. And so anytime in the Old Testament where there's a, a name given, it kind of carries two things here. So it teaches us something about the person being named as well as it teaches something about the person giving the name. So Adam giving the name to the woman Eve basically means that she is going to be the one that is a life giver, but it also teaches us something about how Adam views Eve. Eve to him is a life giver. Eve gives life to Adam by her presence, by her, her nurturing, whatever you may say there. And so as we look at this, you see this in, in, in your life, if you're a mom here or if you're married here, you see how a woman gives life to you. And you think about it in the area of marriage. I mean, I read this, you know, Tim Keller's got a fantastic book on marriage. He talks about this in a little section there where everything in a man's life can be going crazy. Like it could be just, just blowing up everywhere. Things are not happening well in any part of their life, whether it's work, personal, whatever it is. But if your relationship with your spouse is going well, it's okay. You know what I'm saying? It's It's okay. But if everything in your, your life is, is, is going great, but your relationship with your spouse is not going great, oh my, it just colors everything with the darkness. My wife is a life-giving presence to me. God says he 
created her equal but different. And the emphasis even in that when he calls her a helper is not to kind of downgrade women because that word is also used to refer to the Holy Spirit. A helper means she's equal, but she comes in and fulfills a different role there. There's a friendship. There's a oneness there. She's a life giver in marriage. She's a life giver in mother, motherhood, right? She's, the, she's kind of the natural nurturers. It just comes instinctively and natural for a mom to be a nurturer. And thank God for that because dads are just not wired like that, amen? Like our first verse, suck it up, man, come on. It's a scratch. It's just bleeding a little bit. Put a Band-Aid on it. Quit your whining, right? Moms come and nurture and soothe, and this comes instinctively in friendships. They are the encouragers. They give life. They are life givers. This is just one simple little aspect of the beauty that is found in moms and women. You are beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautifully designed by God. Sometimes we as Christians have a tendency to look at people in one dimension, right? That's it. And we'll say this over and over. Well, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. And yes, there's We'll get to that here in just a minute, all right? Yes, there's truth to that, but you are more than just a sinner. You are beautifully designed by God. You are an image bearer of him. Yes, you are damaged, but, but yes, at the same time, you're full of dignity and wonder and beauty and creativity. Yes, you are broken, but at the same time, yes, you are beautifully designed my God, you are creatures of glory and this value and this worth and this dignity is intrinsic. It belongs to you naturally. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to go and get it. It's given to you because you are created. You are beautifully designed by God. You have value, you have worth. You have dignity, it is in you, it's natural because you have the image of God imprinted on your, on your life. You are beautifully, and I say this again, I'm sorry, I'm gonna keep repeating because I want you to hear this. You're beautifully designed by God. But we know, like, the reality is, is we don't feel this, right? We don't feel like this. Even when I say that truth, it kind of just like, ah, yeah, 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 but you don't know this, this, and this, right? It's, it's even hard for us to kind of really embrace that and walk into it and live into that. So why? Why is that? Why is this such a hard truth for us to believe? Why is this so difficult for us to see that we're beautifully designed by God? Well, that's because we're also horribly damaged by sin. So what happened? I mean, this is God's creation, and he's put together a beautiful place. What, what happened? When the first verse of Genesis chapter 3, and I won't read this there, but if you're familiar with the passage of Scripture, there's this strange animal, this serpent. We don't know for sure who this serpent is because the story doesn't tell us exactly who it is. We learn later on in the Old Testament that it was Satan. But this strange serpent comes and deceives both Adam and Eve and says, look, look, man, you're missing out. You're missing out. Don't trust God. Look, you gotta, you got to kind of blaze your own path. you got to kind of determine your own destiny. And so they 
are convinced that God is holding back on them, that the goodness that God has for them is sort of a, sort of a half-truth there. And so they are deceived, and they eat the fruit. And as a result of that, and you see this in Genesis, man, there's a, just a massive spiral downward, and there's massive consequences that affect not only Adam and Eve, but all of humanity because of their sin and rebellion. And what we see here, what we see here, and you see this in your own life, Sin is not just something that you do. Sin is actually something that is done to you also. Are you following me? Sin is not just something that we do. Sin is also something that is done to us. And in the middle of chapter three, as these curses are laid out upon humanity by God, you see this, that there's something that's happening to us. So the first one we see this, there's a damaged relationship with yourself. You see this in verses 7 through 8 here in chapter 3. Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All of a sudden, they see their nakedness. They're self-conscious. They're self-absorbed. There's a damage to their own interior world. You go also in verse 8, and you see not only is there a damage with themselves, but there's a damage with their relationship with God. The man and the, his wife heard the sound of the Lord, which used to be a wonderful sound to hear. He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and what did they do? They hid themselves from God among the trees of the garden. So there's a damaged relationship with God that's now filled with fear and guilt and shame, and the only thing they know to do is to hide themselves, a place where they once used to walk with God now because of sin. They're hiding. Not only is there a a damaged relationship with yourself, with God. There's also a damaged relationship with your spouse, with your husband. You go to chapter three, verse 16. The second half of that says this, you will desire to, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, a marriage relationship that's supposed to be one, that's marked by friendship, is now marked by rivalry and conflict and mistrust and doubt and suspicion. All these things are mixed in here because sin is not just something we do. Sin is also something that does us. And in the first half of verse 16, we see a damaged relationship with our children. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to your children. So when it comes to being a mom, we see even here that it's marked by suffering and pain. Yes, yes, there's a whole lot of joy. I mean, amen to that. There's nothing that will bring you joy than to see your little four-year-old hit a ball off a tee, right? I mean, it just warms your heart. As horrible as that whole game is, there's something about that moment when your daughter or son hits that ball, right? It's just a joy there. There's nothing like the joy of hearing them say mama for the first time. Most of us in this room, no matter what our age is, we can remember that moment and that day. Even cleaning up poopy, nasty diapers, there's a joy that's kind of in there also. Just a little one, not very big, just a little bitty thing, right? But at the same time, as a pastor once said, John Piper, to be a mother is to enter suffering for the rest of your life. You suffer in pregnancy and labor. I mean, thank God for epidurals. Well, I don't know that for sure. Well, I do kind of, but not like on a real level, right? In pregnancy, for some, it's marked by wonder and beauty. For others, man, oh, it's so hard. You don't just spend the first trimester throwing up. You spend the entire 
39 weeks feeling nauseous. You get about six, seven months in there, and, and you just dream of the day you can lay on your back and take a nap, right? Or lay on your stomach and sleep. You suffer in raising small children. They are, they're a wonderful blessing, but they are draining and hard. I remember one lady said, I'm so tired that the ends of my hair hurt. <laughs> I, I don't know what that feels like, but boy, I must be really tired, right? <laughs> Another person say the days are long, but the years are short. There's times when you suffer when they grow up and you realize they make some decisions and choices that you've got to kind of let them do it. And it brings pain brings heartache. Some of you suffer in infertility and miscarriages and early deaths, longings that you have, good longings. And it's a good longing to hear mama be pointed at you, right? And you look at Luke 7 and it's, a one, it's, a, it's not wonderful, it's an example here of like how sin kind of does us, right? And there's nothing in that passage of scripture that tells us that the son or the mom did something wrong that caused the son to die. But ultimately the root cause of the suffering that that mom is experiencing is what? It's sin. It's sin. Sin is not just something that we do. Sin does us. That's what's wrong with this world. And ultimately, it's what's wrong with you. You know it. I think Christianity gives us the most logical answer to what is wrong, right? What is wrong with me? What is wrong with this world? Well, I'll tell you, that, and I'm not trying to make it overly simple. I'm just trying to say, look, this is the root cause. Yeah, there's a whole lot of other reasons why you may feel this way or what's going on in your interior world. But at the root cause of this, is sin. All of us have been horribly damaged by sin. Well, that's really encouraging. Lyle, happy Mother's Day to you, right? <laughs> My lunch is going to be awesome. Got here early just so I can hear some downer, right? Well, here's the good news. The good news is this, is you've been wonderfully delivered by Jesus. Better yet, here's, here's kind of the better way of putting that. That's the invitation. The invitation is for you to receive this wonderful good news that you have been wonderfully delivered by Jesus. I mean, it's, it's fascinating here when Adam actually names Eve. So not only is the name Eve beautiful and wonderful, there's a lot there, it's fascinating when. When in the story does Adam Look at the woman and say, you are going to be named Eve. It comes after the fall. It comes after this, this curse that God unpacks here. And in verse 15 of chapter 3, there's a beautiful promise, kind of mysterious for those that are just rigidly hearing this, all right? It's sort of mysterious if this is the first time you've ever heard this promise. But after this promise is shortly when Adam names Eve. Look what God says. And I, talking about God, will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent here, and between your offspring and hers, he 
will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is a, a strange but mysterious promise of a wounded victor. And shortly after this, Adam looks at Eve and says, or the woman, and says, your name will be Eve. You will be the mother of all living. And most commentators say this, is that when Adam is doing that, he's actually putting his trust in the promise that's given in verse 15, that through your seed, through your seed, there will become a man who will be the wounded victor. So through an ordinary woman, an ordinary mom is gonna come a baby boy that's gonna reverse this curse. He will be the wounded victor and his name is Jesus. We get the full picture. We get the inside scoop here. We know exactly how that promise is to be fulfilled. And that's the only place, it is only in Christ that any of us have any hope. It's only in Christ that any of us can gain the deliverance that we long for. Because look, guys, moms, moms, we're continually being lied to all throughout our days. And that, that, that those lies just kind of come in just subtle ways. And it's kind of a, what I call the soup we sort of swim in or the air that we breathe. One of those lies is feminism. It is, it's a lie. And that lie basically says this, that your identity, your worth can't be tied up in being a wife or a mom. You gotta get out there and make a name for yourself. Get in the workforce, come on now. Well, there's another lie also that's the opposite of that, the other extreme of that, and it's more traditional mindset. Some would call it like traditionalism where, where basically says that your value, your, your identity doesn't need to be found in work. No, it needs to be found in you finding a husband, raising up children, having wonderful kids. And listen to me, both of those are lies. Feminism and the, the traditional mindset are lies. If you try to find your settledness, your wholeness, your completeness, your value in work or home, it will always leave you wanting and exhausted. Because you never can do enough. And all you'll hear every morning when your feet hit the ground, or maybe you even hear it as you're trying to go to sleep, work harder. You're not doing enough. Come on. You've got to feel perfectly toward everybody, right? You've got to have all these perfect emotions. You've got to respond in a perfect way to your kids. Oh, you blew it today. Are you hearing me? Like, I hear this as a dad, as a husband. But Jesus is saying there's, there's a better way. <laughs> there's a better way that I have come to deliver you from your, kind of your interior world that gives you all these crazy messages over and over. He says, my yoke is easy. Come to me. I will give you rest. Look, Jesus is the only one that can deliver you from the guilt, the penalty of sin. What, is, what does sin bring? Well, sin brings shame and guilt and all kinds of craziness. But Jesus is the only one that can give you pardon for that. He's the only one that can fully give you forgiveness to where you know what to do with your guilt and shame and not try to manage it. You can bring it into the presence of Jesus and say, hey, here it is. Here's my stuff, man. Please, here it is, right? I'm bringing it to you. Forgive me. I confess this to you. And then at the same time, because he's 
you know, forgiven us and delivered us from the penalty of sin. There's a pardon, there's a power, there's a, there's a way that the Spirit of God now dwells in us to where we can step in and be who God is recreating us to be. This is not a pipe dream, this is reality. Not only are you delivered from the penalty of sin, you're, you're delivered from justification through parenting. Amen? I'll say it again. You are delivered, mom. Jesus delivers you from the justification from parenting. I, it, it doesn't work. Here's a whole new posture that I want to encourage you with. In Jesus, mom, you are already the perfect parent. Period. That's your position. You could have lost your temper with your kids on the way here, which probably that happened, right? My bet. Probably some words got to flying on the way here. So I'm not, look, I'm not talking about your activity. I'm talking about what is your position? In Christ, you are already the perfect parent, and it's from that position that you operate. Listen to me. If you do not operate from that position, then you will crush your children. If you look at that my existence, my worth, and my value is tied up in how I parent and how I'm a wife, listen to me. Your children will only be a blessing as long as your children are doing what you say. And as soon as they do something stupid and boneheaded, which they will, they're kids. They got a little damaged sinful nature also. As soon as they do that, they will no longer be a gift. They actually will be a threat to you because you're trying to find your justification in them. And Jesus is going, ah, that's already been done. I've delivered you from that. And so now you can step in and be the parent that your kid needs because your focus is on them, not you. Not only does Jesus come and deliver us from the penalty of sin and justification through parenting. I know it's kind of a big word, but you guys get what I'm saying there. The last thing here, and I love this, he delivers us from suffering. And also you go, whoa, 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 hold up. You just said earlier that we, we suffer, like being a mother is just stepping into suffering. Like, what do you, it seems like you're speaking out both sides of your mouth here. Well, look, look, look. Jesus doesn't deliver us fully from all the suffering that we still engage in in a fallen, broken world, inhabiting a fallen, broken body. But hear me, look, look. Jesus does deliver us from the aspects of suffering that make suffering really hard. And I'll say this again, look, look. Jesus delivers us from the aspects, and I'll explain what those aspects are in just a second, from the suffering that makes suffering really, really difficult. And I'll just give you three. There's, there's, not, a, there's not an exhaustive list, and these are all kind of rooted in Luke 7. So what are those aspects that Jesus delivers us from? Well, number one is this. Your suffering's never wasted. Never wasted. You look at Luke chapter 7, and we don't know the full story of that woman, but I'm here to tell you, because suffering is never wasted, that God used that suffering in her life in a massive, beautiful way. 
And you later on in that Luke chapter 7 passage, you would see also that it glorified Jesus, that God used that miracle to shed light and an understanding of who Jesus was in that moment. So guys, listen to me, you're suffering, you're suffering, never, never, ever wasted. It is used for the good of you, even though you may not be able to see it right now, and you may not even be able to see it in this life. The goal isn't for you to try to figure out what that good is. The goal is for you just to trust that God's using it for your good. If you try to figure that out, you'll be miserable. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a section in that past, in that chapter, and I'm going off the, my mind here. All right, not mine. Well, going off, off script. I don't have this in my notes. It's in there somewhere. Six, seven, eight, all right? It's one through 12. I think there's 12 chapters somewhere in that book, right? It talks about like this, this, this continual pursuit of trying to figure out why, and it will leave you miserable. Like you, you can't figure that out. There are some things that God chooses to do that, that, that he's going to keep you in the dark. That's part of just the mystery that we've got to step into. And so it is with suffering. We may not figure out what the good is. And the goal is not, i got to figure out what the lesson is. I, I just, that's not helpful. And I just want to say, if that's your mindset, that's not going to be helpful. In 10 years, you're going to be really frustrated if you haven't figured out the lesson. The lesson is this. God's using it for your good. That's it. And if you need to know kind of like confidence in that, get in the word and you see all these kind of pictures where God used it for good in people's lives. Your suffering is, is never wasted. The second thing too, the second aspect here is your suffering never goes unnoticed. It's never forgotten. But if it's just one little sentence in Luke chapter seven that I would just encourage you to take home, write it in your journal, put it on a note card, Put it in your phone, whatever it is, keep it before you. I love the phrase there where he says, and Jesus saw. Jesus saw. Your suffering never goes unnoticed. He saw, he felt compassion for her. This deep emotional movement toward her. He hurt with her like no other person in the world could ever hurt with her. And he said, don't weep. Don't weep. Some of you in this room, man, you are suffering from some deep, deep darkness and depression, anxiety. Listen to me. And I'm not trying to be trite, and I'm not trying to give you some kind of easy solution, but I do pray that you hear that Jesus sees this. And he hurts with you. And he feels compassion for you. And he's coming alongside you to give you the help, the support, whatever you need in that moment. Your suffering does not go unnoticed. He sees and he feels. And the last aspect we're delivered from suffering is that it's never final. Never has the last word. And some of you in this room may look at that story in Luke chapter 7 and say, okay, that's nice. That's a great story. But you know what? What about my kid? What about my mom? What about my friend? We prayed for them. We asked God to heal and do all kinds of things and, and nothing. What about that? Well, look, guys, look. 
as beautiful as these stories are, you got to remember, they're always a kind of a symbol. They're always pointing forward to the real thing. And when we look at this story, as one pastor says, it's actually a resurrection backward, isn't it? Because this boy, this young man, got resurrected back into a broken, fallen world. And guess what? He died again. And the suffering and the pain that the mom went through actually went through it again. And what we long for, that this story pictures forward for us, is we long for a resurrection forward, right? A resurrection into a new life. A resurrection where no longer will death or sickness and disease separate or sever or keep us from having relationships. We long for the day where everything sad is going to come untrue. And that's what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has accomplished. This is a pointing forward to a greater reality that there is going to come a day when we will be resurrected, those who are in Christ, into a new life where this will be no more. We won't have to have suff- you know, sermons about suffering and what to know. No, it will be a beautiful, joyful, wonderful, amazing, I, I can go on and on and on about the adjectives here. Why? Because sin is done away with and we will be with Jesus, see him face to face. Faith becomes sight. Suffering is never final for those who are in Christ. Never final. The worst that can happen to you in Jesus is the best thing that can happen to you. You hear that? The worst that can happen to you in Jesus' death is the best thing that can happen to you. To live as Christ and to die as gain. Moms, you're beautifully designed by God. In one sense, you complete creation. I know it kind of sounds cheesy, doesn't it? It sounds like a song, right? But you kind of do. You're the last thing that God created. But we're also horribly damaged by sin, but you're not left without hope. You are wonderfully delivered by Jesus, not by the strength of your holiness and your spiritualness, not by the strength of your marriage, not by the strength of how you parent, but by the strength of Jesus. It's never ending, never giving up, never quitting, one-way love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.